0: Ben. Thank you, Ben. <clears throat> All right, we are continuing and actually going to finish our series on the church today. If you're visiting with us, we've taken a break from what we have been doing, which is going through the Gospel of John. We've uh, we got to chapter 12, and we kind of put a pause on that in order to talk about the church. That as a church, there are certain things that we think that we want to address, that we want to um, tweak or change a little bit as we want to be a church according to God's design. In our first week, we considered what the church is, in both how it exists and what it does. That God ordained the church, Christ saved the church, and therefore we have different responsibilities within the church to accomplish his purpose. The following week we looked at who the church is. We understand that the church is a people, that we as saved are part of the universal church, but as believers on this earth we are called to be united with the body of Christ, to be united within with other believers so that we can accomplish all of the one another passages. The next week, we talked a little bit of how we do that well. What is one of those roles as members of the same body? One of those roles is that we protect one another. The way that we all are called to protect one another, the way is that we all wear the armor of God collectively. We disciple one another, and we are discipled by one another. We do that intentionally. We do that towards Christ and through Christ. We do that out of love and we do it with humility. That's how we protect one another as we disciple them and are discipled, even if at times that looks like discipline because of matters of sin. We are still doing it to protect one another. We are doing it intentionally. We are doing it towards Christ and through Christ. We are doing it out of love with humility. Last week we talked about who leads the church. We considered the role of elders, the responsibilities of elders, and the the reason for a plurality of elders. And then finally, the relationship between elders and the congregation and the body. This week, we will be discussing who serves the church. Now, we've already talked a, a little bit. Billy mentioned this. Ben just prayed about this. When we're talking about who serves the church, first and foremost, it's Christ. Christ serves the church. Then, from Christ, the entire body serves the church. We are all called to this responsibility. And yet, God calls some specific people to the office of deacon. And deacon, the word deacon, is the word servant. But he calls some specific people to that office. And that's what we're going to be spending our time talking about today. The question is, why are we talking about deacons? I don't think I've ever been to a church that doesn't have deacons. It's just one of those assumed positions. You're going to have pastors, and you're going to have deacons. But I will also say, I have not been to many churches that have deacons. There are many churches that have the office of deacons, but many, not many of those churches actually have people functioning as deacons according to what the Bible says the role should look like. The problem is just having the title does not mean you are fulfilling what God has told you to do. Just because in our constitution it says we have deacons does not mean that we're good, we don't have to focus on this anymore because we're, we've got it covered. If we could imagine this um, as an illustration, if you could think of a a town that has started recently, it's getting bigger, it's growing, they've become a town, they have a mayor, they have all these things, but one of the needs that they, they realize that they have, they need firemen. Why? Because fires happen. Houses burn down. And a a city, a town that burns down is kind of detrimental to having a town. And so they decide that they want to have firemen. And they get the firemen, and they give different people the title, you are one of our firemen. But what if the firemen never put out any fires? Does it make any difference that they have the title if they're not doing the work? No. We need both. We need the title, but then we also need them to do the work. Just like a fireman who doesn't put out fires, a deacon who doesn't deacon, a deacon who doesn't serve, isn't fulfilling their role. Now, please understand, the issue is not just with deacons. Often the issue stems from the expectations and responsibilities placed on the congregation and the leadership of the church on these deacons. They come with different expectations from the word, and they say, this is your job description. Again, thinking about this imaginary town, imagine the town gets started, and they say, wow, we are so excited to have firemen all the towns around us have firemen and we can't wait to get started so here's here's what we've been thinking and and this is what we've been seeing from other people and this is what we expect first we'd like you to keep an eye on the mayor the mayor sometimes just kind of goes and does his own thing and we're just not really comfortable technically technically Keeping an eye on the mayor is a responsibility of all the citizens of the town. It's their role, but they don't have time for that. It's, It's a lot of things. They don't really understand it. So what we were thinking is instead of having the citizens keep an eye on the mayor and the citizens taking care of what needs to happen, we thought we could delegate this responsibility to you. And you can keep an eye on the mayor. Actually, to make it better... Probably the mayor has too many things that he's kind of in charge of, and we're not sure we like the idea of one guy or even a group, the city council being in charge that way. So, what if you guys start sitting on the council? We'll actually give you many of the responsibilities from the mayor, and you can take care of that. Well, what happens if all of these firemen, fire starts, they're not in the firehouse, they're in the city council. They're meeting, they're busy. Who's going to put out the fire? One of the problems that happens with deacons is that many of the responsibilities of the congregation and many of the responsibilities of the elders have been taken from both of them and given to the deacons. The problem is when the deacons have an amalgamation of all of these other responsibilities, they can't do their role. They can't deacon as deacons because they're busy deaconing as the congregation and as elders. Another potential problem, though, is that they don't bring the right people for the job to be firemen. Imagine again in our town, and they're, they're excited about this whole idea of having firemen, and they're trying to figure out who they're going to hire or who they're going to bring on for this job. And so they, they, the first guy is, is like, well, you know what? I have the perfect person for this job, he owns his own business, and there has never been a fire in that business. I'm, I'm telling you, never been a fire. This guy would be perfect as a fireman. Oh oh, and this guy owns pretty much every tool you could ever imagine. He owns all of them. This other guy, he has never lost an argument. If we put him in the same room with the mayor, we can make sure that he's going to keep the mayor back. It doesn't matter what the topic is. He'll have a contrary position and he never loses. Here's the problem. What are the, what's the job of the firemen? To put out fires. Is it okay if the firemen have other skills that might be helpful? Sure. But what's their main thing? To put out fires. If they get all of these people to be firemen who really have no experience in that, who they've never seen put out fires, but they have some other skills, the town's going to burn. This is the trap we so often fall in when it comes to nominating deacons. We look at skills that are outside of the reputation that God requires for the role. God ordains the role and he gives the requirements. Do you see how this issue of deacons can get confusing and obscured? Do you see how the role of deacons, that deacons who want and are called to serve can be distracted from their main job because all of these other jobs have been placed on them? It doesn't matter that we have the title if we don't also have people accomplishing the work. In our own church, we have had some of these issues. Now, I I need to just pause right here because some people are going to be like, hey, I, I really like our deacons. This seems a little harsh. Everything we're talking about, I have already discussed with our deacons, not in a, come on, guys, but in the sense of where we were looking and say, what does Scripture say? So much of what we're going to be talking about, they were so instrumental in helping us arrive at these conclusions. If you remember last year, we went on a leadership retreat with the pastors and the deacons. We read a book about what it looks like to be a deacon. They discussed this. So I am not throwing our deacons under the bus. In fact, they are are behind the ball on this. They are wanting us to transition so that our deacons can serve as deacons. But in our church, that hasn't always been the case. In our church, one of the reasons is our Constitution sets up our deacons really as pseudo-elders. Many of the responsibilities that are given to pastors are then delegated from the pastors to the deacons. And then they are given oversight over certain things. They are given authority over the elders which is something that in all of scripture you will never find a place that says submit to the deacons obey your deacons we have submit to the congregation i have to submit we have submit to the pastors we do not have something that says submit to the deacons in as much as we have we do follow deacons but under the authority of the elders under the authority of the congregation we've had other issues in that pastoral leadership how the deacons have been led has caused them not so much to function as deacons and this is on me that there have been different times where i have used our deacons more as elders than i have as deacons Now I understand that our church has really gone through a lot of transition and really we needed, I needed some men around me that I could rely on, that I could ask questions to. The work was too great. Which is why though, last week what we talked about is we need more elders to pursue, to do the work. The solution is not to treat our deacons as elders, it's to provide more elders. But the problem in that is that in the way that I have run things with the deacons, it has caused them not to serve as much as deacons because of the way that I have been treating them. Now, I'm not looking back and regretting the last eight years our deacons have functioned for such a time as this. God has blessed us with some amazing men of God that have really helped us, but we don't want to stay there. We're pursuing this transition so that we can become more like the model that God gave us so this morning we want to look at what it really looks like for a deacon to serve the church for a deacon to be a deacon to do that we are going to be looking at the role of deacons the reputation of deacons and the result of deacons that's in your handout right now if you can turn to acts go to the beginning of acts in scripture there actually isn't that much that talks about deacons the office of deacon is only for sure talked about without a shadow of a doubt in two places. In Philippians 1, uh, Paul talks about to the overseers and the deacons of the church in Philippi. In 1 Timothy 3, he gives the list of qualifications for deacons. But in the book of Acts, we have a time of transition. In the book of Acts, we have a time where the pattern is being established. And we're going to be heading towards Acts 6, which I do believe is the precursor to deacons. It's what explains to us what deacons are to do. Because if we don't use Acts 6 to explain what deacons do, we don't have any other passage. None of the other places explain what their role looks like. It just talks about the role. And so in Acts 6, we're going to have an explanation of what it is that deacons do. But before we get there, I want to look at the story of the early church. At the very beginning, you see that Christ commissions his disciples. At the end of Matthew, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. At the beginning of Acts, we have the ascension. And he he has promised them that the Holy Spirit is going to come and bless them. It's the helper that Christ promised. And that happens right at the beginning. It happens in chapter 2. And Peter goes out full of the Holy Spirit and he preaches. And a great multitude comes. And look at the description in chapter 2, verse 42. or starting at verse 41. The explanation of the early church. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a beautiful description of the early church. And what has happened is that the Word of God has gone out and transformed lives. People did not look like verses 41 through 47 on their own. It was a work of Christ that transformed their hearts. It was the word of God that had gone out by faith alone, through grace alone. By grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. We have Christ's word alone, by Christ alone. All of these things happen, and we're seeing the results. But what did the leaders, what did the world do to Christ? They crucified him. Do we think that they are just going to let this happen now that the word of God is going out and having a great harvest? Of course not. Very quickly we see that the Jewish leaders take Peter and John and they throw them into prison. And they're scared because they're they're saying, what's going to happen? These guys are uneducated, but look at the way in which they're preaching. And so you know what? This is what we'll do. We'll threaten them. We'll go up to them and say, listen, don't preach anymore stop that don't don't do that anymore but they let them but what do the guys say we're not stopping this is a charge from god the word of god must go forth and they pray for boldness in chapter four and they say god let us go out and continue to preach the word and you know what happens they do And once again, the word is not hindered and the church is not hindered. Look at chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles, Barnabas which means son of encouragement a Levite a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet this is the church that God ordained this is the church that Christ saved this is what it's supposed to look like but again Satan's not being lazy he's going to continue attacking in the next chapter we have Ananias and Sapphira who come in and they are taken over by greed and they lie but the apostles take care of it Later in chapter 5, we have, again, the leaders taking and and trying to kill John and Peter. But again, Peter, they want to proclaim the word. But we come to chapter 6, and we see why the role of deacons is so vital. Because this strategy now, Satan changes his strategy to attack the church in a different way. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Think about Satan's attack so far. Big things. They were arrested. They were threatened. And none of them stopped the word of God. But here we have an attack that actually concerns the apostles, that actually has them worried that something might hinder the word of God going forward. He does not attack head on, he seeks to disrupt the unity of the church, he seeks to distract the apostles from their main ministry one of the things we need to understand is that one of satan's primary means of attack is not head-on confrontation from outside it's the subtle disruptions and distractions that happen from within that are often most effective if you have firemen that are working the way they're supposed to work you're not as concerned about the fires that might show up at different times because the firemen will take care of those but if the firemen are distracted If the firemen are caused to do other thing, you don't need to start much before the fire will just take over the entire town. It is precisely because of the effectiveness of Satan's attack that the role of deacons is vital. Now, I want to just make a a quick uh, aside again. As much as the word deacons is not here, the verb deacons is here. And this truly is talking about deacons. So look at verse 1 again as we go through this passage. It starts with something good. The disciples were increasing in number. But then there's something bad. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Remember, in the two passages that we read in chapter 2 and chapter 4, each one is giving as there is need. All of them are of one accord. They are united. They're together. But then one problem arises, and it's a physical problem. Some of the widows aren't getting food in the distribution, which is a legitimate problem. But does the problem just stay at that? Do do the people go to the apostles and say, hey, some widows aren't getting food? Now, what do they start saying? Wait a second. Susan didn't get food. Susan's a Hellenist. (gasps) I think the Hebrews don't like us. Oh, oh man, this is a big deal. All of a sudden, one issue becomes another issue. It doesn't just stay at the physical need. The physical need leads to a spiritual problem. Just for our understanding, the Hellenists are Greek Jews. The Hebrews are Jewish Jews. They're Hebrew Jews. But this problem that arises, a legitimate problem, causes other problems. And the the apostles take it seriously. Why why would they take it so seriously if there's disunity? Well, what did Christ say? How would people know who his disciples are? They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, by the love that's in the body. What will disunity do for the effectiveness of the word going out? It will hamper it. So look what the apostles do in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles took the problem seriously. They saw the sparks, they saw the smoke, and they said, we need to take care of this. We don't want this fire to just go unhindered. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Again, what have they faced? They faced persecution, they faced uh, people who have died because they've lied to the holy spirit and yet the thing that is most concerning to them so far in the book of acts is the disunity within now here's here's just an important caveat that i i need to address because throughout the entire ministry we can kind of look at at the what the apostles say and we're like oh that seems a little weird and we can all, even see pastors who use this principle and abuse it because we can say, wait a second, you guys don't want to serve tables? What, is that beneath you? You're, you're, you've got a better job to do? You can't do this? No, because what do we know about Christ? In Luke 22, this is what Christ says in Luke 22, verse 25. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves for who is the greater one who reclines at table or one who serves is it the one who reclines at table but i am among you as the one who serves when we think about the apostles these are the leaders of the church So are they just going completely against what Christ commanded? That the leaders of the church are meant to serve? Who's better? Who is the one that's more worthy? The one who is lying down or the one who's serving the table? No, the leaders are meant to serve. But here's where we miss under the passage. The apostles never said it is not right for us to serve tables. Look at the verse. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables the problem was not in serving tables the problem was in being distracted from their main role God called the uh, the pastors God called apostles to preach the word our pastors our apostles still called to serve tables absolutely but not if it means neglecting the preaching of the word. There are so many churches that, that, that can get confused, we can get confused, and thinking, no, what we need to do is we need to get things done, we need to serve people, we need to do that, but then they neglect actually preaching the word. Thankfully, In scripture, we have a way in which both roles are accomplished. We have elders who are preaching the word. We have deacons who are serving tables. But that does not mean that now the elders can say, hey, I don't have to take care of this. Don't ask me to serve because there's other people for that. If you have a leader who is not serving, rebuke them. At the same time, if you have a leader who is neglecting preaching the word because they are too busy serving, rebuke them as well. So, let's see then what it, what it continues. It says, It is not right that we should do this. Therefore, p- brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of, the, of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They are going to continue doing what God has called them to do. So while the apostles themselves would not give up the ministry of the word to save tables, they saw the need and charged the congregation to choose men to provide for that need. So why is the role of deacons so vital? First and foremost, because deacons follow Christ. John twelve twenty six says, If anyone serves me, and the word there is if anyone deacons, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant, there will my deacon be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, that's not specifically talking about the office of deacons. It's talking for all of us. All of us are called to be servants. But the deacons are meant to be an example to the flock of what it looks like to serve like Jesus. For deacons, for those who desire to be deacons, if you want to know what it looks like to be a deacon, don't look at the world. Look at the Master. I love how one author said it. To be a deacon, look up from the mundane and to the Messiah. They're meant to follow the example of Christ. That's why their role is so vital. But within our passage, we also have three other reasons of why it's so vital. The first is because deacons provide for needs. The apostles called for servants who would provide for the widows, servants who would care for the physical needs of the body. Deacons provide for physical needs. Deacons also protect unity. The bigger problem from just the widows was the disunity that was happening within the church. They called for deacons so that the unity of the church could be protected. Deacons also promote the proclamation of the word. It was not right for the apostles to be distracted from what needed to happen, that the word would go out. And so they called for these men so that the word of God could still go out. Deacons provide for physical needs. Deacons protect unity. Deacons promote the proclamation of the word. So does our church need deacons? Do we have physical needs within our body? Do we have issues which can cause disunity and disgruntlement? Do we have good and necessary work, but work that could distract our elders from the preaching of the word? Absolutely, we have all of these things. I've been so guilty of this. Looking at just the last year, several years that I've been a pastor here, many of the things that I was doing, I should not have been doing. And and I'm not saying that because someone else didn't uh, take it on and I had no choice. No, I held on to things that weren't mine to hold on to, that were a distraction from what I should have been doing. I so appreciate some of the deacons we have right now who have gently come alongside me and rebuked me and said, hey, Stephen, when you're running around and doing all those things before the service, that's that's a distraction. Yes, sometimes sound stuff is going to go wrong. We'll take care of it. Hey, hey, when you're trying to put together an event and you're taking care of all the details of the event and because I like that and that's how I do, look, that's a distraction from what you're supposed to be doing. That has been incredibly encouraging and freeing because there are certain things that I have a responsibility for. I'm like, no, I have to do this. I'm supposed to do this. And to have deacons that say, no, go work on your message. We'd appreciate if you do that more. Go do that. We'll we'll do the work day. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to serve. We are still called to serve, but it's so good to have deacons as deacons. So we've considered the role of deacons, but what are these deacons meant to be like? What do they look like? Well, let's consider the reputation of deacons required. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Good repute, full of the Spirit, i.e., they are believers full of wisdom. These aren't the only requirements, so if you can, turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 8. In 1 Timothy 3, 8, we have the other list of requirements, and this is what it says. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own household well. We have a great and, and weighty list of responsibilities. This is what they're supposed to look like. They are supposed to have a godly reputation. Why? Because they are meant to emulate Christ. Now, please understand this. We are all called to be servants all of the responsibilities that are given as far as deacons, all of these things that are said that describe deacons, all of those can be found for the whole congregation. All of, none of those are commands that are unique to the deacons. We are all called to have these attributes. The thing is, though, we can't. We can't do these things on our own. You can't just work hard to become a deacon. You need Christ. In both lists, full of the Holy Spirit, holding fast to the, to the faith, all of these things, what is it showing? They need to be transformed by Christ. If it's not for the work of Christ on the cross, if it's not for the work of Christ in rising from the dead, if it's not for the work of Christ in giving us the Holy Spirit and transforming our hearts, we can't do this. That's the first requirement for these deacons. But here's what's interesting when you consider the, the list of, of requirements. Considering how we normally see deconserve, what's missing from the list? Oh, well, they need to be financially wealthy. They need to own lots of tools and be good handymen. The they need to own a truck. <laughs> they need to be successful businessmen or intram- intru- entrepreneurs. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> they need to do business well. Those lists of requirements aren't there. Why are the skills missing? Because it's not about their skills, it's about their character. Think think of the example of Christ. Yes, Christ is all-powerful, but do you know what we sing about him, what the angels sing about him? Holy, holy, holy. They don't sing power, power, power. They sing holy, holy, holy. They sing about his character. Within scripture, we have an example of of a being who is immensely powerful, but lacks character. It's Satan. Satan has the power, but he does not have the character. Why would we want deacons who have skills, who have power, but lack character? What we want is deacons who emulate Christ. Christ. And that's going to be a character issue. Why? Because the power comes from Christ. So why is this reputation of godliness so required? Because many of the issues that the deacons confront are complicated, important, and often quite sensitive. We need deacons of great moral caliber. If you look at the church in Acts, the church in Acts chose their best to serve their least If we ever have a deacon who thinks they are above other people, they are below the position. They're not qualified. We want deacons who are tested. We want deacons who we have observed already as servants. Their character matters. I'm so glad that right now all the deacons we have are men of character. I'm equally excited that back in January we asked the congregation for recommendation of other deacons and all the names that we got were people of character. We didn't ask for specific job descriptions. Hey, we need a deacon that can do this. No, we asked for people who filled the qualifications. So we've discussed how the role of deacons is vital. We've seen the reputation that is required of deacons. But what of the result? Turn back to Acts 6. What is the intended result of deacons? Well, the first result is that unity was reestablished within the church. I love the little clue that's given in, in demonstrating how unity comes back to the church. Remember, who's the argument between? It's between the Greek Jews... And the Hebrew Jews. You know what's fascinating is seeing the men that were picked. What they said pleased the whole gathering. United again, they chose Stephen, a man of, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They set uh, these. They set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Why were these names included? Apart from two names, Stephen and Philip, we don't know anything about the other five. We don't know any information. Why was it necessary for us to have them? Well, here's the interesting thing. Every single one of the names is a Greek name. The Jews who are having this problem within the church, when they are having this issue, they, the Hellenists are the ones that are saying, hey, our people aren't being cared for. Do you know what they do then? The church, when they say that they said uh, what they said, please, the whole gathering, they said, okay, we're going to be united on this. You know what, who we're going to pick? We're going to pick Greeks to take care of this issue. In fact, the last name on the list isn't even a Jew. He's a proselyte. He wasn't born as a Jew. They are bending over backwards to maintain unity. That's an amazing result of deacons. The deacons haven't even done a work yet, and yet God is already using them within the church. But the great result is in verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Wow. The ones who have brought John and Peter before and and threatened them were the priests. And here we have them coming to know christ why what happened what takes us from verses one and two where there's discord where there's problems to verse seven in which the word of god is going out and there are many coming to faith what takes us between those two deacons deacons take it there this is a marvelous result of having deacons one of the problems that sometimes we have with deacons is we diminish the role of like, well, okay, there's important things that pastors do. Th- those are the things that really matter in the church. But I guess the grass needs to be mowed, so know, let's just get a deacon. And we, we kind of treat them as second, a second-rate office in the church. Now, do deacons focus on both physical and temporal needs? Yeah. Yeah. But the result, while the work is physical and temporal, the result is spiritual and eternal. Look at verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. That's a spiritual result. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. That's an eternal result. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Spiritual and eternal. Why? Because the deacons accomplished their job within the church. Looking at deacons is not a second-rate office. It's a necessary office. When deacons serve as deacons, the result is marvelous. But the result of deacons serving as deacons isn't just for the body. It's also the uh, result—there's results for the deacons themselves. So go back to 1 Timothy 3 and look at verse 13. 1 Timothy 3.13 For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The result of serving well as a deacon is a good standing and also great confidence in the faith. Now now that might seem a little nebulous. What what, What does a good standing and great confidence in the faith look like? Well, thankfully... Yeah, I know we're, we just were there, but you can go back to Acts 6. We have an example of someone who had a good, gained a good standing and acted with great, uh, with great confidence. Look at Acts 6, verse 8. Remember, who was, one of, who was the first deacon that they called? Stephen. Look at the example of Stephen. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 10, uh, well then, we'll read the whole thing. Verse 9, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Look how they describe him. They say he had the face of an angel. Stephen had gained a good standing before God, God had poured his spirit into him. But Stephen also had great confidence in the face. For the next 57 verses, Stephen confidently proclaims truth to those who want to kill him. This is what he says, starting in verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. How's that for confidence in the faith? But don't think there wasn't a cost for serving. Verse 54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. A testimony. What an example of a deacon who has gained a good standing and great confidence in the faith. Who served those who were killing him. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Does this sound like anyone we've seen in Scripture before? Who is Stephen modeling? Christ. Stephen served well. Stephen's last act as a deacon was following the example of the great servant. He served well, and the result was that he gained a good standing for himself and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Do we want results like that in our church? Absolutely. Being a deacon is not a necessary inconvenience. The result of deacons is marvelous, Now, I'm not promising that we're going to have an Acts 6-7 revival. But I am promising if that we submit to God and are faithful to his word, we will see incredible results. So what does this look like? What does this look like moving forward? Well, here at Hillside, we need deacons as deacons because the role of deacons is vital. Part of what that means is making sure the focus of our deacons aligns with what we see in Acts 6. The three main areas we want our deacons to serve is in physical care, promoting unity, and pastoral relief. Those are the things that we want our deacons taking care of. When you consider our deacons, they should be an example of Christ in the way they serve. That's not going to happen through just deacons who meet on occasion. We want deacons who get things done. That doesn't mean that our deacons will do everything. Remember, we are all called to serve. But we want deacons who facilitate that serving. Deacons who are appointed to these needs. And this is going to take time. We are transitioning this. We're not going to have this all figured out within the next week. This is something that right now our current deacons are are evaluating. How do we restructure ourselves to do these things? It's something that last week I met with many of the recommended deacons and started talking to them, asking them to read different books so that we can set up ourselves to deacon as deacons. But we also want deacons of character. This means we want to observe them. At some point soon, we want to bring forward the people who have been recommended so that you can observe them. Are these true servants? are these people that emulate what we see in Scripture. We want to test them. That's going to happen in in, um, just random ways, but then also we want to do that very specifically by going through the list of requirements. Hey, does this describe you? Going to their spouse, does this describe them? Finally, we don't want to miss out on the marvelous results of having deacons according to God's design. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what the results are going to be on this. But who knows? You know, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot more has been the process of bringing on more elders, moving towards that plurality of elders. But who knows, maybe in five years we're going to look back and say the thing that really changed our church was having deacons serving as deacons. God's going to do amazing things if we are faithful to following his word. As the worship team comes up, this really wraps up our series on the church. I I really hope that you have been blessed as I have as we've gone through this series. We do not have it all figured out. But I am so grateful for a body of believers that loves God and loves his word and strives to be faithful to it. Who and what we are matters. God created the church and God gives us our mission. That's not just something for just the pastors to know. There is a responsibility for all of us. That's why each week we've talked about this as a congregation. The church is a people. As believers, we are called to be united to that body. We are to submit to the body and also to be responsible for the body. For the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our brothers and sisters, and for the sake of our mission, we must gather together and be united. As a church, we are called to protect one another through discipleship and discipline. The enemy is powerful, the war is terrible, and the casualties are catastrophic. We must come alongside one another and protect one another intentionally towards Christ and through Christ in love and with humility. As a church, we must follow the shepherd as he provides under-shepherds. We must seek men who understand their roles and responsibilities before God. We should help them by establishing a model that is consistent with Scripture, both for their good and for the good of the church. Finally, as a church, we are also called to appoint those who would serve the church as Christ served. Deacons as deacons are vital. Deacons who are of good repute is required. And I have no doubt the result will be marvelous. Hillside Church, may we strive to follow and submit to God and his word.